This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie, your host, and in for Archbishop Alexander Sample is Bishop Peter Smith, our Auxiliary Bishop for the Archdiocese of Portland and Oregon. Bishop Smith, welcome back to The Voice of the Shepherd. It's nice to have you back with us. Blessings to you, Dina Marie, and to all you who are listening on whatever way you're listening or tuning in to uh, Voice of the Shepherd on Mater Day Radio. Thank you for your support. It's great to be with you as we celebrate our post-Easter season and all the things that are involved with that. Well, there is a lot involved in this season of Easter. Again, I think we look around and really quickly, all of the Easter decorations are taken off the shelves. But for us as, as Christians, we celebrate 50 days in the season of Easter, and there's much going on liturgically. And that's what I wanted to just kind of continue our conversation, Bishop Smith. The last couple of times we had you on the program, we talked about some of the miracles, the signs and the wonders of Jesus in his in his three years of ministry in that public ministry as he's revealing to the world, really, he is the son of God. Now in Easter, we see the results of that, the results of the crucifixion and the resurrection or as he passes along the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and get a sense of now we have wonders and signs from these apostles. And uh, Peter becomes a little spokesperson for Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So, Give us a sense liturgically or as we enter the Easter season, we hear every day the Acts of the Apostles. I mean, we really get to get an education, I think, if people pay attention, of the beginning of the Catholic Church. Yeah, the Acts of the Apostles is a wonderful text because what we see in it is the continuation of the life and ministry of Jesus now in the Apostles and Disciples. And uh, as I use in my confirmational homilies often, and elsewhere, if you take the Gospels and you look at the Gospels and how the Holy Spirit works in the life of Jesus, so the things that Jesus says and does and how he lives, and then you look post-Pentecost in the Acts of the Apostles, you see the Holy Spirit working the same way in the lives of the apostles and disciples as he did in Jesus. So, the apostles and Jesus, let me put the start there. Jesus heals people. The apostles and disciples heal people. Jesus raises people from the dead. They raise people from the dead. Jesus heals the sick. They heal the sick. Jesus performs miracles. They perform miracles. Jesus casts out the evil one. They cast out the evil one. So you see this continuation of the life and ministry of Jesus in the apostles and disciples by virtue of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 
And it's, a, it's a fascinating to look at what happens uh, in those situations where here they are, these, these men and women, the apostles and disciples. Before Pentecost, in one sense, they know Jesus. They've been with Jesus all these years. And now, after Pentecost, they are changed, deeply changed. I mean, look at Peter, you know, going out and proclaiming the gospel and the others, and they go out. And uh, of the 12, all of them except John die a martyr's deaths, uh, living out what has been given to them and brought to new life and new power more deeply within them by the Holy Spirit of Pentecost. But you see these signs and wonders, and the scriptures remind us, where the gospels proclaimed in power, you will see these signs and wonders. And Jesus said to them at one point, these things will you do and greater than these. And so you see them continuing that, that the, in a sense, they continue the gospel of Jesus in the Acts of the Apostles. And the Acts, Acts continues through till today and will until the end of time. But it's just fascinating to look at it. It's uh, one of the scenes that, uh, that I, of the uh, New Testament that I just love in the Acts is that Peter and John go to the synagogue or temple to pray. And people would position themselves so that their shadows would pass over them and they would be healed. Can you imagine what would happen to Portland if when we were walking along the streets, and our shadows fell on people and they got healed. I mean, talk about a game changer or let's completely rearrange all of our categories and our minds about what's going on. And the power of God was very sort of evident at, the, at that point. But we have the same Holy Spirit that they did. Now, the, the, the challenge for us is that God has also given us the gift of freedom. And we choose how much and how powerfully God can work in and through our lives. God respects that. And uh, so, you know, the, the challenge is always, okay, Lord, let's get to the next level with this. But with the apostles and disciples, we just see these wonderful things. There's even a couple of references in the first sort of 12 chapters of the Acts. It's dealing with Peter and the life and the ministry of the early church. And then the rest of the Acts pretty much deals with Paul who goes out to the Gentiles and what happens with him. And there's a great example. St. Paul the Apostle, Paul of Tarsus, who was persecuting Christians, and now becomes Paul the Apostle and this incredible evangelist who goes out proclaiming and oh, there were all these signs and wonders. So true. And I think that when you mentioned Peter, Bishop Smith, that he proclaims he has a couple of amazing speeches, but what he's proclaiming is what we believe. You know, he's kind of recounting what has happened with this man named Jesus, the Nazarene. He was killed. He was crucified. He rose on the third day. So isn't Peter giving us like the charisma? He's giving us the sense of like, what's the crux of our faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's the first sort of radical pro proclamation that we have of it in the scriptures in the early church, as he's explaining what the, early, the very first Christians believed uh, about Jesus. And so that, that gets added to as you go along by the others who know Jesus, and then down through the centuries, of course, uh, that revelation gets expanded in the sense of we grow in our understanding of these things 
and what Jesus said and did. But yeah, that's that's brought about by the Holy Spirit. And you see right there, where, where was Peter before that? I do not know this man. You know, deny him three times. And, you know, he's going back fishing and Jesus finds him on the lake and, you know, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then after Pentecost, you see this radical empowerment that comes through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that makes Christ alive in us in a much deeper way and equips us for ministry. We're talking with Bishop Peter Smith on the voice of the shepherd in this beautiful season of Easter, this Easter tide. And if you open up the Acts of the Apostles, Bishop, we get right into the ascension of the Lord. So that's kind of the first encounter we have. And then we get the recalling of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But give us a sense when we do celebrate Ascension Thursday, that transition of where the apostles are in their grief, in their coming to know the resurrection of the Lord, and then they get a message from the Lord that he is ascending, but then there's more to the mission after his ascension into heaven. It's really interesting when it gets to that point, because if you go back into the Gospels, you see Jesus sends out the 12 and he sends out the 72. And he says, don't even take the basic travel stuff for the journey. Just take the, the, the less than the bare minimum and, and rely on God to take care of you. So they go out and they come back in each case rejoicing because the same kinds of things were happening when they prayed with people and did these things as when Jesus did. So in a sense, it's like, okay, these people are in this school of training with Jesus for three years. And now it's like, okay, guys, time to get on the bike with the training wheels on and go ride that bike. Um, so they're with Jesus and then it's all right. And now you ride, start, start to ride the bike without the training wheels. And so you see this with the apostles and disciples, but clearly Jesus is still essential to He's the sort of anchor of, of their, their world and their life. And when Jesus dies on the cross, this produces great grief and consternation and confusion among them. We have the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So they, they were leaving the community in a sense of faith that Jesus had pulled together with the apostles and disciples. And they're going back to, by the look of it, where they were before. And when Jesus appears to them, their eyes are opened. And what do they do? They come back to the faith community and re-engage. So it's one of those moments where uh, Jesus is with them. He, he appears to them after the uh, resurrection. And they're overjoyed. Now, it's really interesting because you get these different uh, things. Um, he says, put your, put your, Thomas, put your fingers in my hand inside. Uh, we're not told whether Thomas does that yet. He just responds with a, a statement of faith. Other people, he says, don't touch me. Then others, he says, give me some food. So they are experiencing Jesus is alive and present, but not with them in the same way as he was before his crucifixion and resurrection. So Jesus appears and then seems to go. And they're sort of coalescing again as a community of faith. And then Jesus says he's going to ascend to heaven. We get different accounts of that in the, the tail end of uh, at least one of the Gospels and then, then in the Acts of the Apostles. 
and one can one can imagine their um, sadness and consternation. They, they have the joy that Jesus is alive, but you read this in one of Paul's letters where Paul leaves the community to go somewhere else. The people come to the shore weeping and, and there's deep sadness that he's leaving them, but he, he's formed them to continue on. So, and then Jesus gives them this promise, right, that wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And it's one of those things where Jesus needs to ascend for the Holy Spirit to come in the power that he comes in at Pentecost. And even though this is hard for them, Jesus has, they have to let go of Jesus present with them in that way so that the Holy Spirit may come and completely transform their lives and make Jesus present in them again, spiritually in a much deeper way. Right. And you mentioned Bishop Smith, the word change, that these men were changed. And, you know, when we hear the, the denial of Jesus three times from, from Peter, I don't know him, you know, in the sense of, of fear, yet he can boldly go out and they rejoice in being flogged that they're flogged for proclaiming the name of Jesus uh, down the road. Um, how can we like explain that change that they have that much boldness to continue even in the face of possible crucifixion, flogging, imprisonment, which they did receive, that they're going to continue to move forward in the mission? Yeah, the Holy Spirit gives them strength in those moments gives them clarity of understanding and courage um, to be faithful to the gospel. You see examples of this throughout our life of faith. You know, St. Thomas More, when he says, oh, this is not the stuff of martyrs. Well, Thomas More became a martyr. And the, gift, the Holy Spirit gives us that strength to be able to do things that we would not normally do. I mean, let's be honest. As human beings, our, one of our fundamental things is, we, we tend to gravitate towards pleasure and away from pain. Unless there's something greater that, that trumps that in our lives. So for a parent with a child, it, uh, parents will almost always willingly sacrifice themselves for their children. So why do they do that? It's because love is something that trumps the natural instinct, which is self-preservation. So you will sacrifice yourself so that somebody else may be benefit, may, may be blessed, benefit, or whatever it is. And it's love in that case that does that. And so what the Holy Spirit does is it's the love of Christ and the presence of Christ in our lives that, yeah, you, you want to go run away or turn away or go in a different direction. But because of the, the love, friendship, and affection that we have for Christ and Christ has for us, then we experience that in our lives. We're then willing to do things that would not be normal or natural. I mean, look at Mother Teresa's sisters, for instance. I mean, how many people voluntarily for their own pleasure would want to live that kind of life? Like two, maybe. But those sisters cho choose this. Why? It's because the, the, the Holy Spirit leads them to this and gives them the gifts, the grace that they need to embrace this way of life and accompany us with them as they go through that life. And so there's something far greater here. So the apostles and disciples, you see that with them. It's uh, in a sense, 
It's when people fall in love in a really, really deep way. You suddenly see the way they live, the way they behave changes. And what they love changes. And that's it's a human thing in one sense. You know, when we, when we have a relationship of love, friendship, and affection with somebody or a group of people, we begin to open our lives to them and they to us. And we begin to make them part of our lives and they us. And we begin to love what they love and they to likewise for us. That's how we relate to God as well, because we're humans. God relates to us that way. And so this is why people motivated by the love of God in whatever way that works in our lives are willing to make these sacrifices to do these things that otherwise we would never uh, have been willing to do. And I mean, I know from my own life, uh, when, when I was 20, I was always a very good Catholic. Well, good Catholic. I had my moments. My confessors heard about those over the, when I was a younger man. But it was, I was always a faithful Catholic, let me put it that way. And when, and when I was 20, I came to a point in my life where I had a profound experience of Christ and the Holy Spirit that made them incredibly real in my life. And that began a whole new relationship. Uh, as we say in the archdiocese, you know, a, a life-giving, ongoing, transformative relationship with Christ. And because of that, I was then able to start considering making choices or decisions about things that otherwise I wouldn't have. I may not have even considered them, not that the other things I was choosing was bad or were bad, but it was between good things. But now that this relationship is now part of the choices I make, I make choices perhaps sometimes differently as a result of that. It's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. I love that encyclical by Pope Benedict, God is love. It just unpacks. That's God's response. That's what God is all of love. And if we receive that love, then we can live in that love as well. Bishop Smith, when we, we see these signs and wonders being done through the apostles, um, how does that start to build? What impact does that have in building the early church and drawing an interest in those maybe who were on the fringes before? Maybe they were watching this man called Jesus. Uh, maybe they're just starting to hear about the man who was crucified, who rose from the dead. How did our early church then start to grow? And we see that witness of the apostles and their wonders and signs. The things that signs and wonders do is that they witness to the, the reality and the effect of the gospel. How do you explain these things? Now, what people do with that is then up to them, because Jesus performed many miracles and signs and so on in his ministry, and the apostles and disciples did as well. But that didn't necessarily lead to everyone who saw uh, those uh, radically changing their life and following Jesus. For some, it did. You know, the Gerasene demoniac, after Jesus sets him free, he begs to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no. What he says is go back to where you, to your village, uh, live effectively saying, live the way I call you to uh, tell others about me and wait for my return. And so there you see somebody who was really transformed. 
and really wanted to, to follow Jesus. Others, you know, you, the, the, the 10 men who were lepers that Jesus cured, they, they went back to their lives and families. Now, I'm sure for, for the rest of their, their lives, they were deeply grateful to what Jesus had done for them. Did, did they become followers of Jesus? We don't know. But we know the, the one who turned back and re-engaged with Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, basically, gives himself salvation as well as healing. So the signs and wonders, it, um, they are things that, that reinforce the proclamation of the gospel. And down through the centuries, you see this uh, as well when the gospel is proclaimed. Um, you start to see these kinds of things. And um, St. Vincent Ferrer is one of, one, one of the saints. I, I actually have an icon in my office for St. Vincent Ferrer, who is a, a, a Dominican preacher, an amazing preacher, the last 20 years of his life. He, he would preach to crowds in, in the Middle Ages, uh, crowds of up to 10,000 people. Everyone would hear him like he was standing next to them, speaking to them in their own languages. And there were all these miracles and healings and deliverances that happened when he would go about doing things. So there's a simple example. And there are others like this in different ways uh, that God calls. So you see the gospel proclaimed with power and people respond to that. It's not like, okay, let me give you the intellectual argument of the Catholic faith. We have that. And there are a few people who will be won over by that. But the signs and wonders are a manifestation of the supernatural in the temporal life. And this isn't just a nice philosophy. We believe in a God who exists beyond this, but wants to be part of this world. And so when God heals somebody in a wheelchair and they get up and walk, and nobody can explain that, that's a manifestation of the supernatural, the transcendent, God in the midst of the stuff of ordinary life. And it can be dramatic like that, or it can be something very, very simple. You know, somebody's in an office and there's a lot of tension and so on. Perhaps even in this COVID time, people will say, how can you be so calm in the midst of all this? And you can say, well, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I have faith. And that in itself can be a miracle for somebody else. So it goes all the way from these really dramatic miracles, which are the things that get our attention, all the way until these, these other things, which in one sense are miraculous as well. Because when we face these things, our natural instinct is fear, run, hide, do this. And yet here's somebody witnessing inner peace, calmness, uh, serenity, and deep faith in the midst of this. With the few minutes that we have, Bishop Smith, I'm just thinking about the invitation for each of us as Christians, how to take this message and live it out as a lay person, married person, priest, religious, college student, wherever we are in our state in life, what can be our invitation to take this gospel message, this message of Christ risen from the dead, but to live it out more fully to maybe shake up the world and see what we can do in bringing about Jesus in the lives of those who may be disillusioned. Very quickly, start with yourself. We all need to start with ourselves. The church has an old dictum that says you cannot give what you don't have. And 
we need to start with ourselves. There's a story from years ago of a, a priest who came to this parish that was in a very bad shape, and he wanted to bring renewal to this parish. And he was begging God. And one day he had the strong sense, the Lord said to him, take a, take a piece of chalk and drive, draw a circle on the floor. So he did. And then he had the sense, again, stand in that. So he did. And then the sense that came to him was God saying to him, start with the people in the circle. So start with ourselves. We have to start with ourselves because we can't give what we don't have. And there are lots of ways to do that. One way to do that here in the archdiocese, we've, the archbishop has been promoting the, uh, the surrender novena. That's a wonderful and it's a very simple way to open our hearts to Christ and his transforming power. And as you go through it, let the, let the Lord guide you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. You, know, you don't have to just keep it to the words on the, on the page. You could say, oh, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Please take care of everything. And then you can add to it. Oh, Jesus, I surrender myself to your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So you add those kinds of things to it and start with ourselves. Ask God to transform us more and more deeply. Ask God to fill us more and more with his Holy Spirit, with his life and his presence, so that we too, we begin with that. And then as we go forward from there, start very simply, just say, Lord, give me someone or something where I can witness to you today. It may be in a word I say to somebody. It may be an example I give. It may be an action that I do. Just something. Uh, and maybe you're walking down the supermarket uh, uh, between the shelves and uh, there's, a, there's a mother perhaps struggling with a child and you encourage her. You know, simple little things like that, you know, that can really make the world of difference to somebody. So start there. Start with yourself. I think that is the best advice that we can have. Again, Bishop Smith with us for our Voice of the Shepherd, and what a great way for us to continue our Easter season. Bishop, I would just ask you as we close, if you would please close with your prayer and blessing. Sure, I'd love to do that. Lord God, we just come before you and we ask that you would continue what you began in us when we were baptized. Continue what you have begun in us and are at work in us with our lives of faith, the sacraments we have received, all the blessings that we have received in our life in the church. Lord, especially in this Easter season, we just ask that you would continue to fill us more and more with your Holy Spirit. Change us, Lord, transform us, and make us more and more shining, living witnesses of your light in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining us on this edition of The Voice of the Shepherd. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Bishop Peter Smith, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, God bless you and a blessed Easter to all of you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. 
please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.